0: Help him speak with clarity. Amen. Amen. So if you want to open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12, um, we're going to read verses 4 to 11, and then we're actually going to skip down to the end of that chapter, and we're going to read from verse 27 in chapter 12 through to 13.3. I'll put the verse up on the screen as well, uh, just so none of you miss it. We're continuing today with our study on the nature of the church, Church Unpacked, and we're doing part two today on our little micro-series on the gifts of the Spirit. So the title of today's message is Variety and Unity in the Gifts. So I'm going to read, starting in verse 4 to verse 11 in First Corinthians 12, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same Lord, sorry, same God rather, who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Then we're going to jump to verse 27. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you still a more excellent way. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, If I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We need to have in this day and age a strong biblical theology of what church is. We need to understand what the Bible has to say about what we're doing here on Sunday morning. This is why we're doing this series. Because I believe that your concept of the church, of what church is, of its nature, of its importance in your life, your views on that, your concept of that, is literally the battlefield between the kingdom of God and the spirit of the age. I genuinely believe that. I believe that the enemy's attack right now on the body of Christ is focused principally on Christians' understanding of the church. As we've worked through some statistics in the first few series, I, I, first few sessions I did in this series, we saw that church attendance um, amongst Christians compared with Muslims and their mosque attendance is very worrying that many Christians who would call themselves Christians do not attend church or attend church very irregularly. And the same is not said of Muslims. And so there is clearly a difference in the understanding that Christians have of the importance of being part of the church and Muslims have in being part of a mosque. And I do think that's important. And I do think the enemy is attacking your personal perception of church. And there is a war going on, brothers and sisters between a kingdom mindset, a kingdom mindset of interdependence, that you are not an island, that you are not just some kind of individual who has their relationship with God all on their own. There's a battle going on between the mindset of kingdom, kingdom interdependence, that I need you, you need me, we need each other, and rugged individualism. Rugged individualism, the idea that essentially... Christianity is something that I do. It's my personal relationship with God, and I don't need church. I may choose to go there if I like it, uh, if it does me good, if I come away feeling better than I did when I entered, then great, I'll do it. Uh, But if there are other things on offer that make me feel happier, then I am free to choose to do those activities instead of church. That's rugged individualism, that's the spirit of the age. And I believe that that is what the enemy is foisting upon the body of Christ in these days. And so I think it's absolutely essential that in the body of Christ in the West, that we have a high theology of church, a high doctrine, a high biblical understanding of the importance of what this is. That we understand this is not just a country club, this is not just a community This is what the Bible says is the body of Christ. This is the bride of Christ. This is the pillar and buttress of truth. This is where you come to hear the Word of God heralded. It's where you come to take part in the sacraments. It's holy. It's supernatural. It is not just a mere community with a body of Christ. And so we've got to have, in these days, I believe, a high Doctrine, a high theology. It's okay, I think, for me to use those words, a high theology of church. See it as essential rather than something that will fit into our lives if we have time. Now, we've touched on this passage before, 1 Corinthians 12, when we looked at it, what it meant for us to be the body of Christ as church. So you'll be familiar with this passage. But today, we're turning back to this passage to look again. Look afresh at the gifts of the Spirit. Now, if you were here last time, you'll remember that we looked at four Greek words. anybody here last time when we talked about the gifts of the Spirit? If you weren't, please go watch that back. We looked at four Greek words that Paul uses in this passage to describe spiritual gifts. Paul said that they were pneumaticone, which means spiritual. Firstly, spiritual gifts, of course, are spiritual They're not just natural skills and abilities, but they are given by the Spirit. Secondly, he said that they were charismatone, which means they are gifts, gifts of grace. They're given by the Spirit, and he can give them as he sees fit. He is sovereign. God is sovereign over the giving of the gifts. We also heard that they were gifts of service. We find out what our gifts are when we come with a heart to serve others in the church. And as we begin to serve, then we find out what our gifts are. So if you don't know what your gifts are, what the Bible says is, the best thing to do is find a way to serve, however that is, in the body of Christ. It may be in an official role, on a serving team, or it may not. But have a heart to serve others in the church, and soon enough, you'll find what the gifts of the Spirit are in your life. And fourthly, Paul used another word. He said that the gifts of the Spirit are activities. They are operations. So your gifts are meant to go to work. They're meant to go to work. That's why he told Timothy, Timothy, fan into flame the gift that was given you by the laying on of hands. If you don't use your spiritual gifts, then they will remain dormant. And in fact, they can actually decrease in their manifestation in your life. Now, I believe the Bible does teach that certainly some gifts are irrevocable, that what God gives you, he's not going to take away. But how many multi-language speakers have we got in this room? Sal. If Sal never spoke Italian, I believe that's your other language, right? If Sal just never bothered to speak Italian, you understand if he tried to speak it in 10 years' time, right, he's going to really struggle with it because he's not kept that iron in the fire. And the same is true of spiritual gifts. If we, Unless we practice them, they grow dull. And so although that gift has not been taken from you, you've allowed it to get weakened. And so therefore, gifts are to be used. They're to go to work. So we've got to find places for our gifts to work. Now before we dive in, I'm going to give us some doctrine. This is today's doctrine. This is what we're going to learn and try and prove from scripture so the question is what are the gifts of the spirit according to 1 corinthians 12 and 13 and this is the answer i believe that they are a variety of gifts distributed to each believer by the same spirit as he sees fit working together in harmony these gifts build up the church their effectiveness will be directly proportional to the amount of love that we have for one another does that make sense yes yeah, so there are a variety of gifts there's a great variety and diversity of gifts that god gives and they're given not just to a special few but to each individual given to each individual so We believe the Bible doesn't teach a two-tier church. Two-tier Christianity where there are some who have and others who have not, for me, is not biblical. I believe that the Spirit gives to each gift. That's what 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 teach. They work together in harmony. They fit together like a jigsaw puzzle. Paul uses the analogy of the body, working together. Those gifts work just like a human body. My foot needs my leg in order to do its job. All right? my, my eyes need my brain in order to do their job. My body is absolutely interconnected, and so are the spiritual gifts. So your gifts are dependent on somebody else's to work. My gifts are dependent on you in a sense. I am dependent on you, you are dependent on me, you're each independent, sorry, you're each dependent on each other in your gifts to see them work. So they work together in harmony and they build up the church. They're meant to mature us. They're meant to bring us into a place of maturity in Christ. But here's the deal breaker. Here's the big deal that we read at the the start of chapter 13. Paul says, listen, unless you've got love though, unless you actually have love in your heart, compassion in your heart, charity in your heart towards other Christians in the church, your gifts will be unprofitable. They actually won't do the job that they're supposed to. So love is key. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to begin by taking a look at an unbalanced church. An unbalanced church. Because if ever there was a biblical example of a church that was a little bit out of balance... It's the Corinthian church. Paul wrote two letters, and let's be honest, if we were the Corinthian church, that would make hard reading, wouldn't it? 1st and 2nd Corinthians are not, especially 1st Corinthians, not the easiest letters to have received. I wonder what Paul would write to the church in Wolverhampton. And so the church of Corinth was an unbalanced church. An unbalanced church. Paul stresses, doesn't he, in verses 4 to 6, The variety of gifts. He says a variety of gifts, a great variety. And we can tell from what Paul writes that the church in Corinth was particularly blessed, particularly blessed with many gifts. And many of them were active and operating in the supernatural gifts. They were prophesying, they were speaking in tongues, there were interpretations, we can imagine, there were healings, there were miracles. The supernatural gifts were on full display. So they were particularly blessed in that area. And Paul doesn't chide them for that. You notice that Paul doesn't say, you know, I wish that less of you spoke in prophecy. I wish that fewer of you spoke in tongues. He doesn't say that. Where he criticizes them, though, is that they said that though they were operating in all of those amazing gifts of the Spirit, unfortunately there was disorder. There was disorder in their meetings. What it seems is that, you know, we read later, sorry, earlier in this book about the Lord's Supper. Do you remember that passage in 1 Corinthians 11? Every time we take the bread and wine, we read it. And in that passage, Paul says that in the church in Corinth, you know, some were eating the Lord's Supper and they were feasting, they were getting drunk on the communion wine, and others were going hungry, they weren't having anything. And it was the same in their use of the spiritual gifts. Just as there was disorder at the Lord's table, there was disorder in the use of the gifts of the Spirit. There were many standing up at the same time and giving words of knowledge or prophesying. There were others that were speaking in tongues with no interpretation. Just calling out in tongues and nobody's understanding it. And so there was disorder. Disorder. There was disorder in their meetings. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40, Paul says, all things should be done decently and in order. That doesn't mean they should be dead, but it does mean that in a church where the gifts are operating, there should still be order. So holy chaos is not an aim that we should be shooting for, according to Paul. People were speaking out in tongues without an interpretation. Again, this is something in the corporate gathering that there must always be. There must always be an interpretation of the tongue. And Paul says, if there is no interpreter, don't speak out. It's as simple as that. Of course, there are other uses of the gift of tongues. Private prayer is another great way of using tongues to build up and edify the self. But there needs to be order. So there was a bit of imbalance in the Corinthian church that Paul wants to address. He also says that there was not just imbalance in the church, but there was also hierarchy according to the gifts. So the people in Corinth, they valued, as they should have, they valued the higher, more visible, more supernatural gifts like prophecy, like speaking in tongues, like miracles, those gifts they highly valued. And those who operated in those gifts in the Corinthian church, they received a kind of elevated status. So they were seen as the, you know, the haves, and those who were not operating in those gifts were sort of being treated as the have-nots, really, or being ignored, it seems, And because everybody was looking at these people prophesying and thinking, wow, this is amazing. Everybody wanted to be seen to be operating in those gifts. And we can tell that's the case because Paul, in this passage, he stresses the absolute necessity of all the gifts. Not just the supernatural visible ones, but also gifts of serving, gifts of, later in other books, he talks about the gift of administration. And says it's not just the visible gifts that need to be operating, but also those that maybe are less honoured by people or less visible. They are just as important. You know what? Maybe even more important. And so there's also an imbalance in their way of operating and seeing the gifts. I like what Jameson, Fawcett and Brown say in their commentary on this passage. Unity, not unvarying uniformity is the law of God in the world of grace, as in that of nature. So when we look at nature, we see a great diversity, don't we? If you ever watch planet Earth, we see a huge diversity of creation on display. When we look at the rainforest floor, there are many different species of ant, aren't there? They're not all the same. Not all creatures are just cookie-cutter versions of one another. And God is the same in his sovereignty over you. You are a unique individual. There'll never be anybody else like you, and there's never been anyone else like you in the past. He's given you a very unique set of gifts and also a unique personality. Nobody else can replace you. God is absolutely sovereign in his creative act and also in the giving of his gifts. So It's wrong for us to think that we all need to be just cookie-cutty versions of each other. Does that make sense? I, I do think, you know, sometimes we can get into comparison mode, even in the church, and we can think, oh, that's how it's done, right? That's how Christianity's done, and I'm actually failing at my job of being a Christian because I don't look like that person who's up there on the stage doing that thing. And until I look and sound like that, I'm not really getting it. Is is it just me that's ever felt like that? (laughs) It's comparison. And Paul's saying, no, 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 you're getting it wrong. We're not looking for cookie-cutter Christianity in the operation of the gifts. In fact, an unbalanced, unhealthy church would be a church where everybody has the same gift. And everybody just uses that gift in exactly the same way. That, that wouldn't actually be a healthy church, would it? Because we're not supposed to all be the same. We're not supposed to be uniform. We're supposed to be united. So we're all made unique with a special, unique personality and also a unique set of gifts. Each of you has that. And so when we all bring those gifts and we're not trying to be somebody that we're not, We're not faking it to make it, so to speak, but we're comfortable in who God made us to be. We have faith that God has really given us unique gifts that the church needs. When we're comfortable in our own skin and comfortable in that reality, then we begin to be a balanced church. We begin to mature as a church. But when we all want to be exactly the same, sound exactly the same, dress exactly the same, have all the same gifts as one another, that's when we get unbalanced. That's when we get unbalanced. I like to watch, I mean, it's a bit of a weird one, I like to watch bodybuilding, right? And like weightlifting contests. And, And the most unsightly thing in that world is to see somebody that never does leg day, right? So they've got like an absolute monster of an upper body, but then they've got two twiglets for legs. It's kind of like me. And I try to train legs, but nothing happens. But anyway... It's, it's the result of unbalanced training. And the same can happen in a church. A church can get unbalanced because certain gifts are never, never used, they're never trained. And so we want to be balanced. We want to see a great variety of gifts being used in the church. Paul mentions nine, doesn't he, in this short segment at the start of First Corinthians 12. He mentions word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, Gifts of healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And I don't have time today to go into all of those and and dissect them. But please do do your own research on that. And also, on top, I've heard some people say there are nine gifts of the Spirit. There are nine gifts. But actually, Paul mentions even more uh, elsewhere. In, In Romans chapter 12, there are another list of gifts that are not exactly the same as these. And in fact, some theologians count over 20 different gifts of the Spirit that Paul mentions. And I think there's reason to believe that there are some he didn't even mention in his letters. There are more than that. He never mentions the gift of intercession. But personally, I believe that's a spiritual gift. There are some people who are given to intercessory prayer in a way that no one else is. And it's such a profound gift of grace. So I think there are many, many spiritual gifts in Scripture. A vast variety, more than we could probably Imagine. And what's more is the gift of prophecy or the gift of healing on Darren is going to look different from the gift of prophecy or healing on Maggie because you're different people. So, not just is there a variety in the actual gift themselves, but there's a variety and a diversity in the way that the gift is manifest because you're all unique individuals. And that's important too. You are supposed to be who God made you to be. I know it's a very trite and simple thing to say, but so many of us, I think, hide uh, who we are and put a mask on when we come to church, maybe because there's a level of shame. I don't know. Comparison again, perhaps. But actually, God has made you unique and your gift is going to be varied and diverse because of who you are as well. So the gifts are diverse. Paul actually says as well in Romans 12, he says, we have different gifts. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us, not according to personal ability. Did you catch that? So each of you has a different gifting. You have different giftings that God's given you in your life because you've got different graces that were given you. So those differences between myself and others or you and others, that's according to God. It's according to God. It's not that some smart Christians have just figured out how to unlock all the gifts and they're just better than us. I think that's sometimes how it's put is that you know, accruing all the spiritual gifts is something that you can just do and you can just activate it and you can learn it or you can go on a course and whatever. But actually Paul says we've got different gifts according to the grace given to us. And he says, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If you've got a little bit of faith, that's okay. Just use that little bit of faith. Faith as large as a mustard seed can do great things according to the Bible. So prophesy in accordance to your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. All of it we're to do cheerfully and according to our faith. But not only are the gifts diverse, not only are they, there is such a variety of them, but they're also in unity with one another. They're in unison with one another. I love that in the start of this passage, Paul links variety always with oneness. He says the variety of gifts, but the same spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but the same God. So we've got Spirit, Lord, God mentioned together, one after the another. In the Greek, it's pneuma, kurios, the name of the Lord Jesus, and theos, the name of God in the New Testament. So we're hearing Paul here say, the Holy Trinity is engaged in the gifts. And we're one. They are one because God is the one who's given them. And just as there's a diversity of personhood in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet unity in being, they are not three distinct persons, or three distinct beings rather, but they are one being. So too there's diversity and unity in the gifts. I remember... One of my favorite books as a child or one of my favorite things to do if ever i was off school ill was to watch the bbc dramatizations of the chronicles of narnia did anybody watch that back in the 90s maybe it was the 80s i'm getting really old but it was one of my favorite things to do and there's a a story in the lion the witch in the wardrobe of the pevensey children meeting father christmas it's been winter forever as far as people can remember And the three Pevensey children finally hear Santa Claus arriving in his sled. And they go outside and they get given gifts by Father Christmas. If you remember what they received. But Peter received a sword and a shield, which he eventually used to slay Malgrim the wolf. Susan received a horn and a bow and arrows, which she eventually used to call for help. And it called the Pefensy children back into Narnia in the second story. And Lucy received a small vial of potion. A small vial of potion which had healing properties and a small dagger. Now it might have been easy for Lucy to feel a slight tinge of jealousy. Well, my brother got this sword, amazing sword, and a shield. And my sister, she's got bow and arrows and a Horn, but I've got this little potion and a tiny dagger. It would have been easy for her to feel that way. But she loved the gifts that she was given. She loved them because of who they came from. They were uniquely chosen for her. And in that battle... At the end of the line, the Witch in the Wardrobe, when the White Witch is defeated, who is it going around and helping the wounded? Who is it who heals Edmund, who's been struck by the White Witch? It's Lucy with her bottle of potion. And this is how we are to treat our spiritual gifts. They're precious because of who has given them to us. And we're not to look at one another's gifts and say it's not fair but we're to be like Lucy and gratefully receive what God has given us knowing that in his foresight he knows exactly how those gifts will be used and how absolutely indispensable they are to the church the gifts are also united in their purpose they're all to function within the same body That's the analogy Paul uses, isn't it, of the church and also of the spiritual gifts. Just because a particular part of your body isn't visible to the naked eye, it doesn't make it less important, does it? Just because a part of the body is not visible, it doesn't mean it's less important. In fact, the reverse is often true. Organs inside of us, like our spleen, which we could never imagine would have a function is vital, absolutely vital to the health of your body. And the same is true of gifts. Paul is stressing the importance of all the gifts, not just the visible ones, not just the obviously supernatural gifts, but also the gifts of serving, also the gifts of administration, also the gift of helps, also the gift of teaching. These gifts are... Every bit as vital as the others. We need them all. They work together to build up the church. We don't all have the same gifts either. As Paul says at the end of this chapter, he, he says several rhetorical questions: Do all prophesy? Do all speak in tongues? Do, do all are all apostles? Are all prophets? And each of those questions in the Greek is started with the word may. There's two Greek words for no, ooh and may. In fact, there's more, but those are the two that are commonly used. Whenever you have a rhetorical question with may, the answer's no. If ever you have a rhetorical question with ooh, the answer's yes. So what Paul is saying is, listen, not everyone's going to have all these gifts. You're not all going to prophesy. You're not all going to speak in tongues. You're not all going to have the same gifts. You're going to be different. You're going to be unique i don't think that means that there'll only be a tiny number of christians who use those gifts i think that god is very liberal in his giving of gifts but it's just to say although we we are to earnestly desire and hunger for those gifts we're not to expect that we're all going to look exactly the same we're not to expect that everybody's going to be exactly the same and unless you look like me you're not really a christian do you see what i'm saying And I think we can end up in that kind of mindset sometimes when we begin to think that way. Paul says, no, 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 no. You have a variety of gifts given to each according to God's sovereignty. And we're to find ways to show up and use those gifts. I think this is really key. In the church, like we heard earlier, people sharing testimonies. We saw the importance of the body actually functioning, didn't we, and working together. People sharing testimonies, people encouraging one another. And I would say, you know, find ways to use your gifts. Find places to operate with the gifts. It might be on a Sunday. It might be at midweek. It might be on a social like yesterday when we were out walking. But there's always a way, isn't there, to serve. There's always a way to find a way to use your gift to bless somebody. I'll tell you a, a quick story about how a friend of mine was so strengthened and encouraged by a friend in his church. My friend is a a minister of a church and uh, he was having a very tough time in his ministry and year on year of of struggle. And he was sat down with his father one day and he said to his his father, Dad, I'm done. I've had enough. I've had enough. I'm going to quit the ministry. I'm done. I'm going out. I'm going to find a job out in the world where I don't have to deal with all of this nonsense anymore. I'm quitting. I've had enough at that very moment, it's late at night, his phone rings. He looks down at his phone and it's his friend from church and he picks it up, he answers it, he says, hello, how are you doing? His friend said, this is really strange, but I just felt maybe this is God, but God laid on my heart to call you right now. And this is going to sound strange, but he's just saying, don't quit. (laughs) Don't quit. And for me, I think that's a perfect example of how you can use your gifts and how I can use mine. It might be on a Sunday. It might not. It might just be being obedient to that leading of the Spirit. I love what Wayne Grudem, the theologian, says about prophecy because he pulls it down to a very basic level. He says this, Prophecy, at its most basic level, is simply reporting something that God spontaneously brings to mind. It's as simple as that. And it can be used in any setting, just being obedient to that, that leading and making the phone call. And the difference it made in my friend's life was that he didn't quit. And even yesterday, I was able to remind him of that word and say, hey, don't quit. <laughs> and that word will be a strength to him going forwards. Finally, to finish on, name that band. Huey Lewis and the News. How many Back to the Future fans have I got in here? Come on, yes. The Power of Love, The Power of Love. One of my favorite songs, favorite movie trilogies. Paul spends the first part of chapter 13 telling us something really, really vital that I want to leave you with today. Paul tells us that Despite all the glory and power and utility of the spiritual gifts, there's something higher. There's something greater. There's a better way. In fact, he says there's still a more excellent way than even all of that, even all of the glory of the gifts. There's something even better. What thing, what virtue could be higher? than even the great gifts of grace that God has given us? It's love. It's love. Love is that more excellent way. Love is greater even than the spiritual gifts. Because without love, Paul says, a gift given by God, intended to bless, can actually end up (laughs) cursing Or not being a blessing at the very least. He says those who speak in the tongues of men or of angels without love, they sound like a clanging cymbal. You can do the most extraordinary things with the gifts of the Spirit, but if you don't have love, if you don't have compassion, if you don't have charity, Grace towards one another, Paul says, it won't profit anything. In fact, you are nothing. So we are not to get puffed up about the gifts of the Spirit. We are not to just think that we can use them in some detached, performance oriented way. The gifts function by the power of love. I'm always reminded at this point of that terrifying passage in Matthew chapter seven where Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I think many have, myself included, at times fallen into this trap of thinking that the spiritual gifts somehow denote the favor of God on your life or denote that you are some kind of a super Christian Especially the more powerful gifts. But Jesus says on the last day that some will come to him and use those gifts as a defense of themselves and say, But Lord, look at all that I did. Look how I operated in the supernatural. Look how I prophesied. Look how I did all these things. And he'll say, I never knew you. So the gifts are not always a security of our salvation. Neither are they a sign of maturity. It's something I remember my mum saying many years ago. That the gifts of the Spirit are not where we're to look for signs of maturity. But it's the fruits that show maturity. And so as we begin to operate in the gifts, brothers and sisters, let's also be checking the fruit in our lives. Let's be keeping an eye on the fruit. And never let us use the gifts to get puffed up. Let us... Use the gifts to build up, not to puff up. To build up and to serve one another in love. Unless we've got love, unless we love one another, these gifts will not work properly. And it reminds me again of Christ. What was the one thing that the woman caught in adultery came away from thinking about Christ? What was her impression, her lasting impression of Jesus? How about Zacchaeus? What was his lasting impression of our Lord? Or maybe the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair, surrounded by all those judgmental Pharisees. What was her lasting impression of our Lord Jesus? Was it not love? Was it not kindness? Mercy? Grace? For me, one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible, the story of Zacchaeus. This man who did not deserve any love at all. You imagine Jesus cheerfully calling him down from the tree. Today I'm going to have lunch in your house. We're most like our Lord when we love. 1 John 4 16 says, We've come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. We'll leave you with this. In all of our seeking for spiritual gifts, in all of our hunger to pursue and to utilize the gifts in this body, abide in love. Seek above all to increase your love for one another. Because our love for one another Should be directly proportional to the way that we're loved by our Heavenly Father. The more that we recognize that we are deeply, profoundly, perfectly loved, the more we are able to profoundly and deeply love one another in all of our brokenness. I think it's the only way to walk in love in this world is to know that you're loved. I don't, think, I don't see any other way to love broken people like me other than understanding that God loves you perfectly. And he loves the broken person sat next to you perfectly. That, for me, is the thing that changes everything. So if you'll stand, I'm going to invite the worship team back up.